0: Hey, ro Rose.
1: it's Rachel. Proof you can never, ever, ever take a week off from the Royals. As you'll learn in the episode that follows, Roberta and I are off this week, but wow. Prince Harry landed an executive role at BetterUp.com. Zara Tindall gave birth in her bathroom to a baby boy, Lucas Phillip. So much breaking news. We will totally talk about it next week, but this episode was recorded a couple of days before this news broke. So listen next week for a full Zara update. Prince Harry, we'll get into all of it, but please enjoy this episode that follows. Until next week, God save the pod. Hear ye, hear ye. Please rise for their majesties of Royally Obsessed, the podcast for all things royals. Stand by!
0: Welcome back to Royally Obsessed. I'm Roberta. And I'm Rachel. And it's time for your weekly update on the royal news you need to know. A couple of royal reminders before we dive in. Follow us on Instagram at royallyobsessedpodcast. Obsessed Podcast. Join the Facebook group. You can also subscribe to the podcast and leave us a royal rating, pretty please, on Apple Podcasts. Send us an email at infogallerypodcasts.com. At Rachel, how are you? I'm good, Roberta. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. I feel like last week was pretty heavy um, with everything that's going on. You know, uh, there was a shooting in Atlanta, and I think that there's been a lot of talk about about that in the news. And I just – I feel – I still feel like that's weighing on me a little bit. Absolutely.
1: I think that it's been really a struggle to see it not identified as a hate crime. Yeah. And yeah, yeah I – I'm I'm pretty much thinking about that all the time, I know. <laughs> on top of everything else. I'm sure you know, and reaching out yeah. to our listeners, um, that Definitely. are I'm sure feeling the same way.
0: Definitely. Did you have a nice weekend, though? I did, but mainly warmer.
1: because spring
0: arrived. I feel like I that know. is, like, it's so
1: amazing, you know, the appreciation for the season's just what a renewal that actually feels like, especially in a pandemic.
0: And Saturday was the first official day of it spring. It was. Right? And the yes. weather just, like, rolled right in. So
1: I was Beautiful. out there with like, a bubble machine. This is Finn's favorite thing, and it's, like, the cheapest thrill. But just turn it on, and we can kind of back and like not parent for a minute but he just loves it. I love it. It's like new with every single bubble it feels new to him which is what the magic is.
0: (laughs) You'll have to buy like jumbo size refills of bubbles. Oh, we have those. Yeah. (laughs) Okay, good. But did you get outside? You got some Fresh air? Yeah, definitely. Um, yeah. So I am back in Florida for the time being, and it is wonderful to be out of the cold again. So I'm really enjoying it back with the family. And Izzy, my niece, also loves her bubble machine. So I know exactly <laughs> what you're talking about. It's amazing. It's, it's like it's the, the best distraction. Gift. Yeah. <laughs> um, but speaking of you being in Florida
1: and also just going into a new week, we are a luxury, but Roberta and I are actually taking a week off. But Yay. we are not leaving you guys high and dry. We are doing an abbreviated episode, so there won't be any news, but we have – I think it's a pretty big gift um, – an interview with Tom Jennings, the documentary filmmaker and journalist behind Diana in her own words. And Roberta and I – I mean, we both watched this in tandem with The Crown, right?
0: Yeah. And we had the best conversation with Tom. I feel like he's such a wealth of knowledge about everything Princess Diana, how he sourced the tapes. It's all just so, so interesting. So I'm really excited for you guys to hear that. I guess I shouldn't have said yay when I said
1: we're taking a week off. No, we but, really I mean, it's it, but it it is it's been a nice hard, yeah, a hard yeah. month. It's been a heavy month. And so I think that it's hard earned. But we, you know, obviously totally. royals are on our brain 24-7, so we can't really ever take a day off. <laughs> (laughs) Um, But I do want to mention that we did record this conversation right before the Oprah interview. So it is a little bit of a time capsule. We delayed sharing it with you guys for obvious reasons. There was so much going on that we needed to prioritize. But we do think it's really kind of interesting to kind of switch gears and focus on Diana. But also in this episode, we're talking about Princess Anne's kidnapping. It's been the anniversary of that. We also have some quick opinions, not a lot of news, but some quick opinions about William's interview in the Sunday Times and the son's hiring of a private investigator to increase headlines on Megan just awful so
0: we'll get into it pretty wild
1: and now it's time for the weekly
2: royal cocktail
0: we never you know never skip our royal refreshment though but this time we're recording a a bit early, so we are sipping some touch coffee. Early. I have – yeah, a touch early. I'm drinking my iced coffee. No whiskey this time. No no Irish coffee, but – Yeah, no. I, I, I kind of wish it was, so. The sad
1: reality of my day is I, like, I didn't even grab a beverage. I, like, have nothing. So I am not mm. doing any refreshment right now, which You're I feel is a little bit of uh, – Yeah, I'm so sorry for the segment. <laughs>
0: That's okay. Next week we'll hit the ground running. We'll have some rosé to celebrate yes, warm weather. Yes. Absolutely. Let's just, we'll just do it big next week. Yeah. So we'll Stay be refreshed. for that. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> All right. Well, while you're sipping whatever you are sipping on, here are some snippets from a lovely reader letter from Ashley. Now, she sent this a few weeks ago after the Queen released a statement about Meghan and Harry's patronages being taken away. So this was way before the Oprah interview and – We just wanted to share a few tidbits from that. She said, I wanted to share my thoughts on the Queen's statement about Harry and Meghan. Like most, I was really hoping a compromise would be made to allow Harry and Meghan to keep their royal patronages and his honorary military titles. I agree that it doesn't make sense that the Queen wasn't willing to make concessions for them that she's made for others. My question is this. I wonder whether King Edward VII's abdication and its effect on the Queen has perhaps unconsciously played into her decision. Even though we on the outside see how much happier Meghan and Harry are and would love to see a hybrid model for them, I wonder if the Queen thinks that like her uncle, they either have to be all in or all out. While her uncle turned his back on the monarchy for love, Harry found love and wants to continue supporting the monarchy." The sad thing, like Peter Hunt said, is that the monarchy is failing one of its own. I really respect Queen Elizabeth II and her dedication to her duty, but I think that her response is perhaps informed by what happened to her family 85 years ago rather than today's reality. Thank you again for making all of our lives a little more royal and our Thursdays a little more fun. Ashley. What a good point. I feel like something I didn't think of and didn't cross my mind, but it does You know, reading about Elizabeth and Margaret, I do think that that's had such a profound, I mean, obviously it had such a profound effect on their life. It changed the line of succession. So Mm -hmm. I do think that that's probably something that she's always reminded of and constantly thinking about um, the way her uncle abdicated the throne. So
1: yeah, I, I think this is a really astute observation just because there has to be a lot of PTSD from that experience when she was such a young woman. I just would guess that that would haunt her a little bit and this the fam- there, it isn't exactly the same but there's familiarity yeah, there
0: totally totally there are parallels for sure so very uh, very good we've been getting some letter, great Ashley.
1: reader mail I know <laughs> please people keep are... writing us in this is like really I love these
0: conversations
1: that we get people via email people
0: historians our listeners are very astute yeah so it's really incredible keep sending us notes <laughs> yes please all right this week in royal history I'm super excited to talk about this one
1: Now, this week in
0: royal history. So, on March 20th, 1974, just four months after her royal wedding, 23 year old Anne and then husband, 25 year old Captain Mark Phillips, were being driven back to Buckingham Palace from a charity event where they had watched a film about, of course, what else? Horseback riding. (laughs) They're both avid horseback riders. And they were driving along the mall at 8 p.m. The mall leads up to Buckingham Palace from Trafalgar Square. So, we're going to play a news radio broadcast from that time.
2: The police have today been carefully checking the royal car which was attacked last night as it was taking Princess Anne and Captain Mark Phillips
0: back to Buckingham Palace. As you'll know, the princess and her husband escaped unhurt. But four other people were taken to hospital with gunshot wounds. Princess Anne and the Queen, who is on a tour of Indonesia, are being kept informed about how they're getting on in hospital. I'm told they're all satisfactory. So the kidnapping attempt happened when a car pulled out in front of the Royal Limousine. It was a Ford and a man got it. It was kind of a beaten up white Ford. A man gets out of the car and the protection officer that's sitting in the front seat thinks that this is just some angry driver. They might've cut him off or something. He's like, okay, let me deal with this gets out to wave him on. And the guy pulls out a gun. The protection officer gets shot in the chest, his own gun then jams. And he is left sitting by the front passenger side He gets shot two more times, but makes it back into the car. The kidnapper actually had two guns, and he comes around to the back, asks Anne to get out of the car. She reportedly responded, not bloody likely. He then gets the door open after shaking it and tackles her to the floor of the car. Now, here's Princess Anne discussing the ordeal quite a bit later. It got slightly rougher, didn't it, at one stage? Because we we did, in fact, when he shot the policeman, we managed to close the door
1: eventually got the door back open again.
0: He got the door back open, but in the process of getting the door back open, the back of my dress
2: split from top <laughs> to bottom, you know, all the sh- shoulders went out of it. But and that was his most dangerous moment. <laughs> <'cause> I, <laughs> I lost, <A> cross, <laughs> I lost my rag at that stage. <laughs> <I> was, <laughs> <what>?
1: <laughs> but he had hold of one arm and I had hold of the that other. That was so a <laughs> bit later, though, wasn't it?
2: Because, I mean, when he, after he'd... He'd opened the door again with the whole thing had collapsed a bit and then he grabbed my arm um, and pulled. Unfortunately, well, I don't know whether it was me holding on to him or him holding on to me, but anyway, we, we maintained the status quo for a bit.
1: Um, <laughs> I wasn't going anywhere, put it that way. <laughs>
0: So the it's kind of a little bit difficult to understand, but the part where they're all really laughing in the beginning is she says when her dress ripped, that's when she lost it. She was like, "All right, now I'm angry because now at I'm first, mad. She, yeah, she was like, at first I'd been pretty polite because what's the point in being rude at that stage?" And she was like, "But then, to the back of her dress, right over her shoulders, ripped and." It was because they were playing tug of war with Anne. I mean, they were physically, one was holding the kidnapper, who we now know was Ian Ball, was holding one arm and Captain Mark Phillips was holding the other.
1: And she was coming from a film premiere, so she must have been pretty fancy. It must have been a nice Pretty dress. dressed up. Yeah, yeah, exactly.
0: A charity event at night. It was at 8 p.m. So, yeah. And, and she was 23. She was, you know, she was in the prime of her life. She had just gotten married four months. Yeah, just after her wedding. I thought that was so interesting. And she the protection was- officer who got shot three times, he, he had just joined their team. When she got married. Wow. So he was so new to his job. Wow. And to think that this is like, I mean, obviously they're trained for certain situations, but he's done interviews where he's like, I had, I mean, I had no idea that this would ever happen, you know, yeah. just was such such a shock. So, Anne issued a statement after that said, we are very thankful to be in one piece, but we are deeply disturbed and concerned about those who got injured. So four people, including the princess's chauffeur, the security officer, a policeman, and a member of the public who was driving by in a taxi, this guy was a journalist, were shot and all taken to the hospital. They all recovered. So no one died from their injuries. They later found an, the ransom note that Ian Ball, who was 26 at the time, not much older than Anne, had written an address to Queen Elizabeth demanding three million pounds for Anne's release. He intended to fly with her to Zurich, Switzerland, then release her once he was paid. He pleaded guilty to attempted murder and kidnapping and was sentenced to life imprisonment. He was placed in Broadmoor Mental Hospital, where he is to this day. Ian Ball, the kidnapper, had been previously diagnosed with paranoid schizophrenia and had a record of petty burglary this this is what's heartbreaking to me that i later read he said that he wanted to actually give the three million ransom money to the nhs to be used to improve the care and treatment of psychiatric patients because the facilities and care that they were being given was so horrible so i just that's like so heart-wrenching i think that Um, is to know that reason. that was, like, his main... Yeah, I mean, obviously... And he spent two years planning this, right? Yeah. Wow. So his attempt to kidnap Princess Anne remains the closest attempt anyone has made on abducting a member of the royal family. But a big question that we've heard a lot re- in recent years is why didn't they cover this in The Crown? I so know, it, it, it would have, have been, been in s- season three, and it would have been so good oh, to see I that play out I would love to screen. see that. I'm sure there's just
1: so much material to choose from. And, and
0: especially when Anne... Erin Doherty, the actress who plays Anne, like really found her star power in season three. I think people like fans fell in love with her, you know, sarcasm and take no prisoners attitude. And so they thought maybe they'll flash back to it in season four because it was such a disservice to not include it in season three. But the Producers, the historians for the shows, said it didn't fit with the timeline, but also Anne's storyline just isn't developed as much. We don't see her wedding. We don't see her yeah. competing in the Olympics. So we need Peter Morgan to give us more explanation. I want to know I, why. I, I think it was there should be a. On the I think there should be floor. a crown spinoff about Anne. I feel like she <laughs> I feel was like the there star. should be. Yeah. yeah. Oh. Definitely. Aaron Doherty, who plays Anne in season three and four, said, when I found out that she had resisted a kidnapping, that blew my mind, especially because she would have been like 24, 25. And the fact that someone had a gun in her face and said, right, you're going to be kidnapped now. And she just said, no, I don't know how she did it. That says a lot, I think. She also said that did inform the performance because if you're grounded and stable and confident enough to tell someone no when they have a gun in your face, I feel like you've got things sorted pretty much.
1: I mean, I think that's the part that blows my mind is that Anne. So you had like a tabloid reporter. I was reading in the Smithsonian about the, mm-hmm. the range of people that, you know, were the, shot The character It was like yeah, yeah. a former boxer, two chauffeurs, three policemen, and then Anne just talking her way through it, you know, distracting Ball.
0: It just seems, I mean, that's pretty powerful. Pretty impressive. It is. Yeah. It's, I, I think it just it says volumes about who she is as a person. Mm-hmm. The one thing I thought about was how minimal their security was at the time. I think, you know, what's interesting is they publish the di- the royal diary in the newspapers, and so they would say like Anne and Captain Mark Phillips have this mm-hmm. event tonight. They're going to be there from six to eight. They'll, you know, it, like it's it's very obvious that someone could. And the royal limousine had a insignia on the side, so it's obvious that 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 is the car. The rest of the mall was empty mm-hmm. at eight p.m., mm-hmm. and so you know it's not hard for someone to kind of catch them in their tracks yeah. and pull this thing off. But it makes me think about, and I feel like we're relating everything to Harry and Meghan recently, but it does make me think about how much security is needed for the royals and how important it is, especially in today's age where we're all interconnected via social media and all of that. I feel like this is just such a reminder of how important it is to have that security detail. On yeah, them it's and really hen- critical for their safety. Right, and why they felt like that was the last straw when it came mm-hmm. to leaving. I think to know that Archie wouldn't have anything, that they would have to pay for it all out of pocket, I think that that was just really, when they know the kind of danger they could be in day to day, even just going, you know, visiting other countries, going to these these charity events all the time. Yeah, I also absolutely. thought about how, this is the last thing I'll say because I'm drawing this history out, but I love our royal history. But yeah. I do think that, Princess Anne is such a wealth of knowledge and has kind of dealt with the heir and the spare dynamic a little bit, being the only daughter, the second born. I feel like she she could have been such a great resource for Harry and Meghan. And we think about now after the Oprah interview, why more people weren't there for them? Or why, you know, like, why didn't they find other people who could support them? And I think she would have been a great person for that. Mm-hmm. I feel like she um, is someone who has kind of bucked tradition in a lot of ways. Her, her children don't have titles. I think that that's something that she could have been a good support system for them. And it's unfortunate that they didn't find that. Yeah. So I don't know if that's just how it's set up. She you know is someone that I feel like would have been went great for them like almost like an aunt that they could Yeah, I'm so curious what that relationship lean is. On. Absolutely.
1: Yeah. I mean, I don't want to call it a great royal history moment, but it is it's just like very, it's, you know. It's so in interesting, terms. it feels like a movie. Yeah. Should have been yeah. in the ground. Last thought on that. Right. <laughs> well, and here's our conversation with Tom Jennings reminder, I'm saying it again, it was recorded before the Oprah interview, but we think that that has value too. So Here we are. Here's the interview.
0: And now we're thrilled to welcome Tom Jennings to the pod. He's the filmmaker behind Diana in her own words. Tom used rare, never-before-heard audio interviews with the princess, the same tapes that informed Andrew Morton's groundbreaking biography, Diana, Her True Story, to create the documentary about her life in the royal family, her marriage to Prince Charles, and her emotional time under the public microscope. Welcome, Tom. We're thrilled to have you.
2: Thank you so much for having me. It's great to be here.
0: So first things first, where are you chatting us from?
2: I am talking to you from Asheville, North Carolina, uh, because I can. Um, (laughs) We're here for family reasons, and my office and my life is usually in Los Angeles, but uh, it's probably the only time you could say thanks to COVID, Mm -hmm. we could spend uh, much more time here in Asheville than we normally would have.
0: And how are you holding up during the pandemic uh,
2: it's stressful um, it, it's not quite as bad here in western North Carolina as it is in Los Angeles and other parts of the country however um, it's still very stressful we have a couple of young sons and they can't go to any kind of school mm-hmm. um, you know they can run around with us but they can't really interact with other children and uh, to us that 's really heartbreaking and yeah. very sad and uh we 're all just doing our best and hoping for the best uh, that will come sometime soon but uh i 'd rather be living without it yeah. to be <laughs> <For> honest <Sure. laughs> that 's for, for sure, sure. I yeah. know yeah. the
1: number of pivots we 've all had to make during this time and adjustments it's so true exactly. well we 're so happy to have you here. I rewatched the documentary this week, and robert it 's just so fresh for us and and It is such a masterpiece. It really is so compelling. I was in tears, again, finishing it, just reliving those scenes from when we got the news that Diana had passed away. I just- I mean, your work is incredibly moving. So we we just wanted to start off by saying how what a privilege it is to have you here.
2: Thank you. It was a privilege and an honor to make it, as you can imagine. And uh, it's a story that I think will never die. And we wanted to present it in a way that people would appreciate, uh, Diana, for many years to come and we worked very hard to achieve that so thank you
1: well and you know it's been almost 4 years since the film originally aired and it, it originally aired timed with Diana the 20th anniversary of Diana's death um but it's gotten a lot of attention recently again a resurgence if you will because of the crown and the fourth the fourth season and which introduced a young princess diana so we're we're curious first of all did you watch the crown what did you what was your reaction to season 4
2: i am halfway through episode
1: 10. Okay. Okay. <laughs> so you're like really at the I, end of season I, four.
2: Don't tell me how it
1: is. <laughs> <ends. We won. laughs> Our lips are sealed.
2: I tried to finish it the last few days, but we're busy making other films. Yeah. And so uh, I, I had been watching it when I could and um, I loved it. I thought that Emma Corrin uh, did a beautiful job and, uh, I don't know her, but I'm very grateful to her because she has given many interviews about how she prepared for the role and has said in almost every interview she has given that she watched our film dozens of times to get the intonation of Diana's voice down. And uh, boy, by about episode six or seven, you know, I know there were ones that didn't deal with Diana, but... Towards the back two thirds of the Crown series, uh, when she was on, I was uh, completely believing that it was Diana. I was hooked in, and I thought she did a masterful job. So, I liked it. I know that they took some license with some things. I was surprised that uh, they left some things out uh, that are in our documentary.
1: What were you surprised? What parts, if you were surprising, that they cut?
2: The biggest thing that came out of. Our documentary was hearing Diana say that her wedding day was the worst day of her life. Mm-hmm. And while they, they did a very dramatic interpretation of the wedding day, which I thought was very cool, um, I was surprised that they didn't spend more time on that, for mm-hmm. example. Also, early on, one of the stories that we had in the tapes that I particularly love is... How when she was first dating Charles uh, and went up to Balmoral, there are these famous photographs of her running up a hill, hiding behind a tree.
1: I loved that footage in the documentary. Yeah, photos. Yeah,
2: they were very hard to get. Uh, More than the we always try and get images that have not been published. A few were published, and those are the ones that people recognize. But we always, uh, when we do these kind of archive only. Um, documentaries we always go to the photographers themselves and say well you know and back in the day they used what were called contact sheets young people probably don't even know what that is anymore (laughs) but you know there'd be a strip a film strip uh, of like uh, from the roll of film of 30 shots and then you would always see back in the newspaper days the print days when they used contact sheets a grease pencil circling, you know, publish this one. And we Mm -hmm. use contact sheets for that. And there were other images from the photographer that we were able to get. And it's a wonderful story. And, um, you know, it showed her being kind of coquettish and obviously very coy, but also very protective of Charles at the same time. That's why she ran and hid so as not to cause him problems. Mm And I thought, wow, that's such a great story. And, you know, they reenacted a lot of the Balmoral scenes. Mm -hmm. And uh, the one other thing off the top of my head that uh, struck me is uh, uh, she, in the tapes, talked about her first visits to Balmoral as being, uh, you know, she was walking on glass. And Mm -hmm. uh, you didn't really get that sense. Uh, The scenes that they showed was how she won everyone over uh, fairly quickly, and granted, they were compressing a lot of time into you know what they thought would be best to drive the story. So I think they probably just wanted to get the story moving. Yeah. Diana came in and won over the family, and then uh, um, everything took off from there.
1: Yeah, I can't imagine. She was, I mean, how hard when they have to kind of fit it into ten episodes. It has to be. But I, I, I agree. Those parts in the documentary were really, really poignant moments. And it would have been, Mm -hmm. I'm curious, I agree with you that it would have been nice to include them, but.
2: It would have been nice. And, you know, one of the things that we purposely did since we're talking about particular moments is that uh, there are seven hours of uh, tapes that Diana made for Andrew Morton. We wound up in our two hour film only using about one hour of them. Wow. (laughs) Yeah. There's a lot more. Andrew and I keep talking about trying to do part two, because yeah. there's so much more. Uh, but what we purposely did was uh, we chose stories. We, we mapped out every story that Diana talked about in the tapes. In our business, uh, in, even in feature films or book writers, they'll use three by five cards and they'll write notes on the three by five cards about what a particular story point. Mm -hmm. And we put them all up on a wall. And we think that I I recall there are about 140 story points that Diana talks about over the seven hours. And we also made a decision early on. Well, you have to we called it the seven pillars of Diana's life. There were certain things that we felt we had to cover you know she meets Charles mm-hmm. uh they get engaged uh the wedding uh the birth of William, the birth of Harry. the marriage starts to go downhill, you know, so we we knew that if we were going to do this kind of retrospective with her telling the story, we had to pick those pillars, yeah, but in between the pillars, we looked at the cards, all these great stories that she told, and we purposely chose stories where we could find a lot of images mm-hmm. to go with those stories. Uh, for example, early on the black dress where, that she wears from Emanuel's, mm-hmm. not the revenge dress <laughs> later on, but the one where they first went out mm-hmm. uh, to the guildsmith The one hall. that
1: was like, said Charles was Very like, why are that? Very
2: yeah. reporter was saying, yeah. well, we had found all this great footage. And then we had Diana, describing the whole evening including uh meeting princess grace of mm-hmm. monaco and we found stills of that so what we did is we uh, in between the pillars we purposely chose stories that she told that we could visually illustrate in a very dynamic way so you have to remember the tapes were recorded over the summer of 1991 and in this case the dress scene what happened in 1980 mm-hmm. and we were editing the film in 2016 for a release in 2017 for the 20th anniversary of her death. But yet it sounds like Diana sat down in a narration booth and narrated the film for
1: us. Mm-hmm. Right. It does. I want to definitely get into more about the actual producing of this documentary sure. because I'm really fascinated. I did want to ask one last question about The Crown. I want your sort of gut Take. Did you think that it was an accurate portrayal of Diana after spending so much time with those tapes?
2: In general, yes. Um, I thought there were parts, uh, for example, of the Australian tour.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: Um, all of that fighting that went on behind the scenes, for example, I don't know if that's true. She didn't mention that in the recordings. Mm-hmm. She talked about the jealousy and it is true she couldn't walk up Airs Rock, but the real reason wasn't because she was so frail. It was because of her, what the clothing she was wearing at the time. So the, I think they took a little license here and there. Uh, but in general, I think it, it was accurate, yeah. And I was surprised when um, certain members of uh, uh, the British hierarchy We're requesting Netflix to put a disclaimer on it. Yeah. uh, And then Netflix responded with a clip from our film. I (laughs)
1: know. Oh, was that so exhilarating and directed people to <laughs> yeah. watch it actually
0: which is incredible
2: what i think they said something like all the answers to your questions are contained in this documentary it's like well thank you very much for that i had nothing to do with wow. netflix and Free any publicity any of that.
1: Yeah. was that so exci- i mean were you just floored by that
2: i was floored <laughs> i was floored and you know uh we were so careful in how we made it and i'd uh, be uh, more than happy to explain various things that you know the ways we went about it.
1: Yeah, I definitely. We were so know.
2: careful that I was still waiting as it grew in popularity for someone to find a flaw, you know, to someone to call out the film. Well, this is wrong. Or, yeah. And, you know, we use a phrase in our business. You know, we're, since we're using a lot of film, it's it, it's clean to the frame, meaning we went through every frame of that thing. to make sure that we could not be challenged on it because, let's face it, it was very controversial to use her telling her own story. And we wanted to make sure it was 100% accurate. And I have a background in print journalism before I started making documentaries. So I wanted to be extra careful. We're always extra careful, but on this one, I knew the scrutiny uh, would be very high. I didn't know that it would be Netflix-level scrutiny three years after we made it. Yeah. But- it still withstands the test of time.
1: Totally, I guess I just was curious how that sort of collaboration with Andrew Morton came about. Uh,
2: that's a great story. National Geographic likes this particular style that we've refined over the years of telling uh, stories with only archival imagery and sound. Uh, they're very difficult to make. Um, the pre that in twenty seventeen we actually won an Emmy for. A similar, uh, well, the story of the Space Shuttle Challenger disaster with Christa McAuliffe, the teacher in space, who was mm-hmm. killed, and um, that was also for National Geographic. Well, in 2016, they asked me and my company to, uh, "Hey, can you make one of these all archive things for the 20th anniversary of Diana's passing?" And I said, "Well, there's a- miles of footage out there. I suppose we can." And, of course, they added the caveat, but make it different than everything else. Mm. Uh, Challenge extended.
1: Yeah, (laughs) it's hard.
2: We knew that for the 20th anniversary, uh, there would be a lot of documentary nonfiction programming coming out about Diana. And there was. I think I counted something like 30 that were on all of the kind of major cable networks, even, you know, uh, the streamers, obviously. So um, having been a journalist, I and I was a print report, a young print reporter when Andrew Morton's book came out. And I followed that story pretty closely because he was a reporter who was pilloried for what he wrote at the time. Mm-hmm. They, people called him a liar. Uh, people said that, uh, you know, he made things up. And after Diana died, is when he confirmed that, hey, all of you people that said I lied, Diana was actually the person that told me all those stories. Mm-hmm. The, uh, the tapes, a, a little background, the way it worked was uh, Diana w- was fed up by n- the spring of 91, and she wanted to tell her story to the public, knowing the risks involved, and she had one of her childhood friends was a guy named Dr. James Calthers, And Calthers happened to be a friend of Andrew Morton. So Calthers talked to Morton on behalf of Diana. And of course, Morton said, well, yeah, absolutely, I'll write a book for her. And, uh, but Morton was fairly well known as a journalist in London at the time. And so he, uh, what he would do is he would write questions And he would give the questions to Colthurst. And Colthurst literally, um, and I'm not kidding, he would ride his bike to Kensington Palace and the guards would wave him through because he had been there many, many times. And then he and Diana would find some quiet corner somewhere where no one was around. And he would hit record on this little tape recorder that he brought with him. And he would start reading questions from Andrew Morton. And when they were finished, he would take the tape and he would go meet Morton at some, you know, out of the way cafe. And he basically make it was very clandestine. But the tapes are unique in that when Diana would answer these questions, she was talking to one of her best friends. So you, you hear it in her voice. It's not like she's talking to a reporter. She's talking to a, a, a lifelong friend of hers. And... So I knew about the tapes, to get back to your question. Mm-hmm. And and so I called Andrew Morton's publisher, who basically had Andrew Morton call me. Wow. You know, I was a reporter. I'm not afraid of calling anybody. No, so I, of course <laughs> not. <laughs> figured, you know, you never know until the you ask. Yeah, you what, ask. Why not? All he's going to do is say no, Exactly. I thought he would. Exactly. And he did, (laughs) you know,
1: (laughs) (laughs) how'd you win him over?
2: Uh, Well, it was one conversation. I got him on the phone. I told him who I was, what I did. Uh, We were doing something for National Geographic. So obviously there was some, um, you know, a force of name recognition there, there. which helped a lot. And he may have looked me up beforehand, uh, you know, to see what who I was. And uh, so I I straight out asked him, you know, we'd like to use your tapes. And um, I remember the conversation vividly. He said, uh, get in line, mate. Uh, you're about the 2000th producer that has asked me for those tapes. Wow. I plan on taking them to my grade.
0: <laughs> wow. I can imagine. I, I feel like everyone wanted to do the same thing that you did, which is make a documentary or...
2: Well, they Publish, did. yeah. But then I said, you know, and he wasn't rude about it. No. But he fielded just, so many calls like this in the past. And, you know, I felt the conversation was going to come to a very quick end. And I said, Andrew, 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 wait, 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 wait. We do these things differently. There, there's no narration. And we're not going to interview anyone to tell us what Diana was like. Mm -hmm. We want to use the tapes and just let her talk and let her be the narrator of her own story. And there's this very long pause. And I thought, well, that's my best shot. You know, I don't know what he's going to say. And he very quietly said, no one's ever asked me to do it like that. Oh, wow. And uh, I was stunned because to me, that would be the most obvious way to use the tape. Right. And then I said, well, that's how we're going to do it. And he said, can you guarantee that? I said, look, we've already made like 12 th- these in this style. You know, here are some titles. I'll send you links. He goes, no, no, no. If you, if you can guarantee that that's how it would be done, I'd be interested in meeting with you. And he wow. said, how quick can you come to London?
0: Oh, my god! <laughs> and
2: I was in Los Angeles. And I said, uh, let me find out. And I told National Geographic and they said, Get on a plane now. <laughs> and I was in wow. the middle of, I think we were producing the Challenger show for then. And I was like, I'm in the middle of this other thing. I don't have mm. time to go to London. Could, uh, and, my, and our producer at uh, National Geographic, our executive, because I don't care how you do it. You have to go and meet with him
1: now. Yeah. Wow. What a, what a story that is. Yeah.
2: Well, and there's more to it uh, <laughs> in that uh, I went about two days later, I took the overnight from LA to Heathrow and I landed early in the morning and it was pouring rain. And I took a black cab to Andrew Morton's publisher's office in South London. And for an American, I'd been to London before and we'd filmed there, but it really was uh, like out of Harry Potter. It was this, <laughs> it was this you know, uh, Ivy covered, thatched roof a building, you know, kind of nondescript from the street and a little compound of buildings. And I went in and I met Michael O'Meara, the publisher mm-hmm. who made the introduction. And then I met Andrew and he was a very nice guy and we got along well. And then he brought out a bank deposit box mm. or, a, you know, one of those bank boxes. Yeah. And he opened it up and they were the original tapes.
0: Like cassette Um, tapes or? They were cassette tapes. Cassette tapes, tapes, yeah.
2: Because these are the tapes that Diana made.
0: He's probably converted them to electronic copies. She had. Yeah. uh,
2: But I said, oh, can I touch them?
0: (laughs) (laughs) Right, That's incredible.
2: And he did. You know, he said, sure, go ahead. And I looked at them and they had little notes on, you know, which dates they were recorded. But he had already had them digitized for safekeeping. So he and I uh, sat down. And uh, one of the executives from the London Office of National Geographic joined us. And the three of us sat in this small, very British office that I remember had a skylight. And I remember it because it rained all day. And it was raining and we drank tea. And for seven <laughs> hours, yeah. we listened to Diana talk as if she were sitting in the room with us. Wow. Wow. And it was one of the most magical days of my life. We made a handshake agreement. I didn't take the tapes with me. You know, a lot of business needed to be discussed between the network and Andrew and the publisher. Mm -hmm. But I shook his hand and he said, again, if you're going to do it this way, I'm willing to work with you. And I went back to Heathrow and I got on another 12 hour flight and I went home. So I was on the ground in London for about 12 hours. Oh, my God. 24 hours. But that's how it happened.
0: I wanted to ask, there's a lot of controversy about the tapes and reportedly someone even broke into that office to try and get rid of them. What's the story behind that?
2: Well, uh, it was uh, early on. They not that office. They broke into Andrew's office oh, okay. looking for the tapes, But Andrew was smart enough not to keep them. He had an office where he did all of his writing, but he didn't. He never told me where he kept the tapes. Not that you mentioned it during '91. Also, James Coulthirst and riding his bike out of Kensington Palace with some of the recordings. Uh, Was run off the road by some mysterious car right there in the middle of London, Uh, you know, unsolved, but it wow. knocked him off his bike. Yeah. And there was all kinds of crazy intrigue that went on. But yes, his uh, Morton's office was broken into and ransacked. And uh, he couldn't find anything of note taken, but he. This was he after kept... the
1: book was published.
2: Oh no! Oh, did this, this was before? This was in 1991. Oh this wow! This is when right it was before. all going okay. on while they were making the recording. Wow! So somebody knew, and uh, yeah, after the book was published, uh, I, you know, people said Morton was a liar, and I don't think many people knew that the tapes
0: existed. Wow! And they never caught anyone for that. Did they for breaking in? Yeah. Wow. That is wild. Well, you mentioned, so there's, I want to ask, there's seven Mm -hmm. hours of Mm -hmm. audio recordings. And we know, you know, only about an hour of those made it into the documentary. What are some of the things that didn't make it in that you found, you know, most revelatory or most surprising?
2: Many things, obviously. Um, Something that's in The Crown is the uh, uh, story of the avalanche. Oh, yeah. uh, cloisters and uh she tells that whole story and she goes into great detail about the story and who was doing what where and the poor gentleman who lost his life a friend of theirs uh Hugh Downey I think his name Mm -hmm. was uh, um how they had to uh, get his body on an airplane to get back to London um she talks for probably a good 15 or 20 minutes about that entire story. Wow. And it's fascinating to listen to and she talks about Charles a bit there but you know we only had so much time in our film and um
1: you had those seven uh, pillars. We had to make
2: yeah we had to, we had to hit the pillars. So that was one I I definitely wanted to use. She also, I didn't know that, uh, how much she was into astrology mm-hmm. and, uh, you know, I knew a little bit about that, but at one point she reads probably for another 15 minutes or so, um, this report from her astrologer about what her life will be like in the coming years that she had done in the early 91 and wanted to share it, you know, and, uh, It was amusing. And uh, uh, some of it was about how she was going to eventually remarry someone of foreign blood. Hmm. Uh, So perhaps there is something to those readers uh, who were working with Diana at the time. Um, One you know, people have asked me about the day when I heard the tapes and, you know, was I very emotional? You know, certainly we with with the soundtrack that w- was recorded for the, our film and the way we presented it and how, you know, you wanted to wrap up her life with her own words. Um, it gets very emotional at the end, but uh, the way that the questions were asked over the period of several months is that Morton would want her to expand more on something. Okay. So So the topics were always all over the map, but my... One reaction, as soon as the last tape played, you know, M- Morton of course is looking at me like, well, you mm-hmm. know, isn't it cool? Isn't this amazing? Wow. Yeah. <laughs> and the first thing I said is, she's so funny.
1: Mm. That <laughs> and- <laughs> comes across so much in the visuals you add to it as well. Yes. Yeah.
2: She was really funny. I mean, I, I, I didn't get how funny she was. There's a lot more in the tapes where she's telling little asides about her day and making jokes. Some of it was gossipy or catty, but... A lot of it was just her turning a phrase and making a joke about something.
1: Like that clip where she like when she walks in and someone says, nice hair, Diana. And then she's like, Kick. I mean, I know that's. that's oh, yeah. I love oh, yeah. that little clip. But yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I feel like you really get to see her sense of humor in the yeah. video. But I'm sure coupled with the audio.
2: Yes, it was. I That was my first reaction. She's so funny. I couldn't believe how funny she was. So, uh, yeah. you know, I'm so grateful to Morton and Michael O'Meara as publisher, you know, for having me there that day and giving me the incredible uh, luxury of having listened to all the tapes, but coming away from it, I, you know, all the way back to the airport, I, I just kept like going through my head. Princess Diana was Really funny. I yeah. have no idea yeah. that she was so
1: funny. What a bright spot of listening through that. Well, I, I feel like only because we're short on time, we could keep talking to you for sure. hours. I would love yes. to hear what's next for you. What did, I know you recently had a documentary, uh, an edition about the Queen, but we'd love to hear what else you're working on.
2: Yes. Uh, well, we're doing more work for National Geographic. Uh, and by the way, Diana uh, migrated off of Netflix recently and is now yes. on Disney+. We need Plus. to mention
0: that. On Disney+, Plus. Yes. <laughs> yes. Yeah.
2: It's on Disney Plus because National Geographic is now a Disney right.
0: company. makes sense.
2: Um, we have another one that uh, just came out not too long ago on Disney Plus, and this year is the 60th anniversary of it. Uh, uh, National Geographic and Disney Plus did a remake of the right stuff about the Mercury astronauts. Mm-hmm. And so we did a companion documentary, much in the same way, called The Real Right Stuff. And it features author Tom Wolfe, who wrote the original book in 1979. And he gives a fantastic interview on radio and in television. So, not quite as much as Diana, but we have Tom Wolfe, who's no longer with us, mm-hmm. this very eloquent American writer. Telling us the story of the Mercury astronauts. Wow, so, I need to
1: check that out for sure. Yeah, and the
2: 60th anniversary of the first launch, the first step into space, was uh, is coming up uh, in early May, May 5th mm. of this year.
1: Wow. So we're
2: doing that. Uh, we have several other things that have not been announced yet, but we're working on things having to do with uh, the civil rights movement oh, wow. in the United States, issues surrounding free speech, Um you know, so I, I like to take on big topics where I can. And Andrew Morton and I are talking quite a bit about doing something for next year, which is the 25th anniversary Gosh. of Diana's passing. And, and, and uh, also, coincidentally, it's the 30th anniversary of the publication of his book.
1: So there will be renewed
2: interest, and season five of The Crown will be coming out.
1: Wow. (laughs) Oh my gosh. Can't wait. So so check this space.
0: Yeah, <laughs> we're gonna oh, we're gonna keep so
1: uh, keep tabs. <laughs> well, we ask all of our guests on the show, and this may feel funny for you to answer, but everyone gets asked this question. So okay. co- we're gonna put it put it to you. Uh, if you could identify with any royal, living or dead, who would it be, and why?
2: You know, only because I've lived with her for so many years, I would di- identify most with Diana. Mm-hmm. Uh, The reason being, I kind of was out on my own at a very young age. I had to make my own way. I lost my mother when I was very young. You know, I kind of had to scrap for everything that uh, everything good that's ever come my way through sheer will and determination. And seeing how she evolved from, you know, a very innocent 19-year-old tossed into a spotlight none of us could really understand. Mm -hmm. To someone who stood on her own and believed in what she stood for, I guess I'd associate most with Princess Diana.
0: That was so well said. Thank you so much, Tom, for that. Answers. Thank you for joining us too. I mean,
1: such a moving, beautiful documentary. It was. It's a. It's a gift to, for all of us to get to experience it. So, yeah.
2: Thank you. Yes, watch it again. I'm. Uh, you know. Well,
0: <laughs> yeah. I'll be. I'll be waiting for the other six hours of tape whenever those can be made public. I would love that.
2: I will keep you posted. <laughs> There's some fun stuff. Special in there. request.
0: Amazing. Yeah. Yes. Well, thanks, Tom. Thank so you much. so much.
2: You're very welcome.
0: Uh, I just loved talking to Tom. I feel like he is... We could have talked to him for hours. Yeah, honestly. it was very I hard to limit with, it. <laughs> we were like, what, can we talk to you for four more hours? That would be great. All right, before we adjourn the Royal Pod, here are our highs and lows. It's time for the Royal Highs and Lows. My low this week, the Sun hired a private investigator to report on Megan and her father. So we found out that the son paid over $2,000 for illegally obtained info regarding Megan and her father in 2016. The private investigator that came forward is a Mr. Portly Hanks. He's suing the son for an unrelated phone hacking charge, but he told byline investigates and also the new york times that he accessed a database called TLOXP that has info like home addresses cell phone numbers social security numbers and a lot more data about people and he accessed that about megan her parents her siblings and her ex-husband so we kind of now see the trail of how her father and her friends and her family were all staked out by journalists this is kind of the very beginning of that Licensed PIs do have the right to access such information in civil and criminal cases, but it is a violation of U.S. privacy statutes for people to pass these reports on to news organizations. This is definitely illegally obtained. Um, The PI says he was just doing his job. The son told him they give him, I think it was like $2,055 for the info. There were other tabloids struggling to get him to kind of do the same thing. So so despicable. It's terrible. I think the Sussexes released a statement that kind of condemned this and said, you know, look, this is proof that like the way that these tabloids are going about getting their sources is is terrible. So it's it's very so shady. Gross. Yeah, very it's shady. Like yeah,
1: really awful that that story. I feel for Meghan and Harry just getting hearing that come out. Like, I mean, they probably assumed it, but it's just awful. Yeah. Okay, my low is – I'm going to try to go quickly, but I really need to get into this because I feel like the royal news cycle moves get so it. fast. Get into but it. But just this Prince William interview with the Sunday Times. Did you read it, Roberta? It's just – I read snippets. It's long. So tell us the gist. Okay, so I feel like it's a puff piece is my opinion, right? It's in the Sunday Times. It's called Up Close and Personal with Prince William, An Intimate Portrait of a Future King. But I feel like where I start to feel a little uncomfortable is that post-Oprah interview – We know that recollections will be addressed by the British royal family privately. This was what they said. But this is the old as-told-to-by-close-friends bit. You know, it feels troubling that given Harry and Meghan's revelations about how the firm controls the narrative by planting stories, we're getting this type of massive profile about William, right?
0: Yeah. It almost feels like a direct retaliation to, like, CBS... This morning and Gail King and all of that. Like, it's like, I just, yeah, that makes me uncomfortable. But then also the fact that you have to, so you read through
1: a zillion accolades about William and then at the very bottom is where you get, uh, as told to by close friends, update about the Sussexes and where their relationship stands. So it's like we're using the, it's just, oh, that's like, just feels off for me. But what we learn is that, Supposedly William's bridge-making skills were deployed. That's the direct quote. Bridge-making skills were deployed in the lead up to Harry and Meghan's wedding, given that tensions were running high at Kensington Palace back in 2018. We get this quote that says every time there was drama or a member of the staff on the verge of quitting, William would personally try to sort it out. This is another it's like a multi-pronged low because this feels like a direct comment for me on the bullying accusations against Meghan, but it also kind of underscores that if we did see this play out as a he said he said like william said harry said back Mm -hmm. and forth it just doesn't look good for either brother like that feels uncomfortable but this is i think the closest we're going to get to that um william also said well not william i'm saying that um it's also explained that william was stunned when harry announced he would move to america and that the pair took a walk post Sandringham summit and said the quote is that, that they did not part shores as friends so, I mean, it just feels yeah. like William's take. It goes right. on. It says that the reason for the friction at the Commonwealth Day service, which we all saw via the photos, yep. was directly tied to William's perspective on the launch of Sussex Royal, the website, and that their statement about when the when the Queen said they couldn't use the word royal, there was the comment that they said back in a statement, while there is not any jurisdiction by the monarchy over the use of the word royal overseas, like William felt like that was pretty... Like, whoa, how could they say that? So just kind of hearing all this. But then the ultimate part of my low, this reveal, I'm quoting one more. Sorry, this is so long. Our producers are going to be so annoyed. But No, that's um, good. I just had to get into it. it. I had to get into it. But it says, once William got over the anger of how things happened, he was left with the absence of his brother. They shared everything about their lives, an office, a foundation, meetings together most days. And there was a lot of fun along the way. He'll miss him forever. Again, this is close friends, and this seems like a planted story. So, I just hope that William is saying those words to, to Harry directly. Like it just, I, it's yeah. very sad to read this in this way. Yeah. Can I say one last part of my low? Oh, th- please, yeah. Is that this reporter constantly refers to this what happened as Megxit, and I think that that is a term that should be thrown away because it was not Megan. Yeah. It was both it's Roy and Nika, right? Yeah, that wrote this, yeah. So, anyway, and the just Sunday Times out.
0: is owned by the same publisher as the Sun. Yeah, Rupert Murdoch. So. um uh, my high this week is Prince Harry's foreword to a children's book. The children's book is called Hospital by the Hill by Chris Connaughton. Harry writes in the forward, When I was a young boy, I lost my mom. At the time, I didn't want to believe it or accept it, and it left a huge hole inside of me. I know how you feel, and I want to assure you that over time, that hole will be filled with so much love and support. We all cope with loss in a different way, but when a parent goes to heaven, I was told their spirit, their love, and the memories of them do not. They are always with you, and you can hold on to them forever. I find this to be true such a sweet tribute and him talking about princess diana i feel like this book is for kids who are grieving the loss of a loved one from covid Mm -hmm. and the illustrations are adorable it looks incredible i want to get it for my niece so very, very yeah. sweet. I know. Yeah. It makes me curious about what they're gonna
1: do for Netflix with the in terms of their kids' content, just in yes. terms of how they'll use their personal experiences.
0: I heard waffles and mochi is Oh, I it? watched it this weekend. It's so good. <laughs>
1: Side note. Finn was you. Finn was touching the T V because he wanted to play with the food. I mean, he's never done that. So someone said I think shout it was out our, to Michelle one of Obama. our producers
0: yeah, one of our producers said everyone should watch it, not just it's kids, so, so cute. I, I wanna watch it. It's really good. What's your high? Um I'm like, Oh, let's talk
1: about waffles and mochi. Um okay. <laughs> So my high is, is much quicker than my low, but basically Kate and Williams almost selfie at this event where they were at a they were meeting with emergency and frontline workers at an ambulance station last week. And they FaceTimed with a paramedic's father who was located in Bangladesh. So it's not a selfie per se, but it sort of had that vibe when I saw it. And so it kind of, you know, I don't know if you remember this, but there was when Megan was first making a royal appearance, going to some of her first events back in, I think it was 2017 a fan asked her to take a selfie and she quote said, we're not allowed to do selfies. And I felt like that was, you know, to the world, that was a major reveal. And it makes a lot of sense. I think Lainey gossip kind of went into this where it might be that because you can't turn your back on a Royal and you kind of would have to, to take a selfie, Mm -hmm. right? Like it could evolve into that. So Mm -hmm. anyways, I think it was a high because I was like, post pandemic, are Kate and William going to embrace this whole sort of different side of technology we've seen them zoom we've seen them really upping their game on instagram with all the special effects so i'm i'm just curious what will play out will we see royal selfies
0: i would love to see a royal selfie even just of them posted on their instagram let's let's get more of that oh my gosh yeah the little arm (laughs) yeah (laughs) Just a reminder before we close, remember to subscribe to our podcast so you never miss an episode. Follow us on Instagram at Royally Obsessed Podcast and the Facebook group. You can drop us an email at info at gallerypodcasts.com. We have had the best reader emails lately. Let's keep it up. We love reading them and we love writing you back as well. And you can follow us personally on Instagram. I'm at Robbie Frito. And I'm at RKBNYC. Until next week, God God save save the the pod. pod.